This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute, the global public square for the business of space. Join us at interastra.space. Sometimes we'd argue the point with the disapproving Lockheed manager directly, but often Bruce just called the highest Hubble person in NASA and made them call Ron's boss's boss to overturn the decision. Everyone at Lockheed knew when this had happened because Ron's boss would come flying down the hallway bellowing, Sheffield, I'm going to fire you. I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplores.com. For this final solo of the year, I'd like to tell you a story about the huge impact that a small gesture of caring can have in the lives of people around you. Seems particularly appropriate to share during this festive holiday season. Meet Ron Sheffield. Ron's a country boy from small-town Oklahoma who grew up strong and smart, went to university, and became an engineer. He married his college sweetheart, Linda, right after graduating and joined the Army as a helicopter pilot. Over the next 20 years, Ron, Linda, and their growing family moved from post to post as Ron's career advanced, often enduring long separations and twice the anxieties of combat tours in Vietnam. He rose to the rank of colonel and retired as a highly decorated combat veteran in 1984. Never one to sit around idly, Ron was soon looking for his second career. He landed a job in reliability engineering with the Lockheed Missiles and Space Company, the outfit that was then building the Hubble Space Telescope. This is where our paths crossed in 1985, and where today's story begins. Ron was leading the Lockheed engineering team responsible for designing, building, and testing all the tools and supporting equipment that astronauts would need to maintain Hubble in orbit over its projected 15-year lifespan. This included everything from the wrenches needed to loosen bolts or disconnect electrical fittings to the handholds and foot restraints that astronauts need in zero-g to move around and set up work sites. Bruce McCandless and I, the two spacewalkers on the crew that would place Hubble in orbit, were given a similar charge by our bosses, make sure we have every tool and bit of gear that any astronaut might need on a future repair mission and that they never have an oops moment in orbit when they discover that a tool doesn't fit. Over the next five years, we spent hundreds of days with Ron and his small team, working out every detail in this immense task. We thought through the full inventory of repairs that could be needed, 
donned clean room, protective suits to examine each worksite and every bolt and connector on the telescope, tested our ideas in large water tanks used to simulate spacewalks, and in vacuum chambers that produced the deep cold of outer space. We were keenly aware that we were the last human beings who could test tools and procedures on the actual telescope. Everyone who came after us would have to depend on secondhand information we left behind, photos, engineering drawings, and papers. So we documented every detail, photographed every square inch of the telescope, and captured the insights gained from our hands-on experience in a set of user tips for future spacewalkers. Ron was the anchor player of our combined NASA Lockheed team. Like any good manager, he was always organized and never lost track of a detail. But he was so much more than a manager ticking off the requirements on a contract. He was as fully invested in the success of the Hubble mission as we astronauts were. As he saw it, his job, his duty, was to ensure the success of future spacewalking repair crews. And he attacked anything that jeopardized that success with the ferocity of the combat soldier he once had been. Ron wasn't afraid to challenge authority in his relentless pursuit of mission success, even his own bosses. If they rejected a proposal he believed was important to Hubble's success, he didn't hesitate to ask Bruce and me to help overturn the decision. We trusted his technical judgment completely on these things and knew he was never indulging his ego. Sometimes we'd argue the point with the disapproving Lockheed manager directly, but often Bruce just called the highest Hubble person in NASA and made them call Ron's boss's boss to overturn the decision. Everyone at Lockheed knew when this had happened, because Ron's boss would come flying down the hallway bellowing, Sheffield, I'm going to fire you! We launched aboard Discovery on April 24, 1990, with the gleaming telescope bolted firmly in our cargo bay. Ron and his small team of young engineers were in Houston, ready to provide the mission control team with their deep knowledge of the telescope. We deployed Hubble the following day and returned to Earth four days later. Fast forward to 1993. NASA has endured three years of scorn thanks to the flaw in Hubble's mirror that gave it blurry vision. A floppy solar array has also made the telescope jitter badly at every sunrise and sunset, which is a big problem in orbit where the sun rises and sets every 45 minutes. Lots of science was lost, wasting for those jitters to die down. A repair mission, STS-61, is launched to fix both of those problems and replace Hubble's primary camera with a better model. The four spacewalkers will rely on the 100-plus tools Ron's team produced and the detailed knowledge of Hubble that they passed along during the crew's training. And once again, Ron and his team will be at mission control, monitoring every step of each spacewalk to pass along tips or help solve problems. The mission was a huge success. It saved Hubble's science mission, salvaged NASA's reputation, and paved the way for spacewalks becoming a common operating practice in orbit rather than an emergency-only capability. That was a change that made construction of today's International Space Station possible. I watched all this with great pride from my new post in Washington, D.C. I left NASA in 1992 to accept a presidential appointment as chief scientist at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, known as NOAA. As the final spacewalk ended, 
My thoughts turned to the many honors and awards I knew NASA would bestow to reward this tremendous success. It's impossible to single out every key contributor in a successful space mission, of course. So the usual practice is to recognize the leaders of major groups with individual awards and salute the broader teams with group awards. This meant Ron's small hands-on engineering team would probably be lumped into one of the group awards. That didn't feel right to me. Their deep knowledge of the telescope and repair equipment had been vital to the mission's success. Though invisible to the public eye and even to NASA higher-ups, they were in fact the glue that held the repair effort together since 1985. Day after day, year on end, Ron had quietly and selflessly done everything possible to make sure the repairs were possible, that the crew was well-prepared. I felt an exception to the usual award logic was needed and decided to take a shot at making that happen. I sat down to pen a letter on the elegant official stationery of the Office of the Chief Scientist of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The combination of my Hubble history and new station in life pretty much guaranteed that any letter I wrote would reach the addressees personally. So I addressed it to the head of the Hubble program at NASA with courtesy copies to Dick Covey, the repair mission commander, and the head of NASA. My letter opened with hearty congratulations for the mission's success, and then stated bluntly that a particular individual on the Lockheed team deserved NASA's highest civilian award, the Distinguished Public Service Medal. It went on to note the vast scope of the work Ron led, the exacting detail it demanded, and his personal dedication and leadership. My punchline was that Ron exemplified, as I put it, the superlative, dedicated technical experts who quietly and selflessly undergird the success of every NASA mission. NASA bestowed its Distinguished Public Service Medal on Ron Sheffield in a grand ceremony at the National Air and Space Museum in May of 1994. True to form, Ron never crowed about receiving the award. Instead, servant leader that he was, he used the prestige it gave him to take care of his team, in particular, Brian and Peter, the two engineers who had joined him nearly a decade earlier, immediately after graduating college. Now seasoned engineers and true Hubble experts in their own right, he ensured their career advancement wouldn't suffer if they stayed with the Hubble team instead of hopping to another project, as is usually done to get ahead. This trio trained and supported every one of the five Hubble repair crews all the way through to 2009. We all know Ron Sheffield, that skilled, dedicated person who quietly, selflessly undergirds the success of our business, our community, our family, never self-promoting, always looking out for the good of the whole group. Everyone appreciates them, but often forgets to show that appreciation. I cared enough about ensuring Ron's service was properly recognized to spend a few minutes writing a letter. The effects of that small gift of care rippled out over multiple lives and more than a decade. Who's the Ron Sheffield in your life? How might your gift of care change their world for the better? Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, Along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplores.com.
This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute. New episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Music, and most everywhere podcasts are found. To be the first to know when the next episode drops, head over to interastra.space.